doesn't it? But it is. And sometimes it's maybe okay for us to be reminded of that. It's a sobering thought that, you know, this, this planet upon which we are dwelling, uh, it's not permanent. It's not eternal. It is temporary. And yet, here we are building. And in fact, we will spend lots of effort over the next months and years rebuilding, helping rebuild down in Houston and perhaps here down in Florida as well. We will put forth the effort to do that. We will build, even though even that stuff is temporary and it could get knocked down again. We will build. We will rise up and build. And I think about that even here. Here we are rising up and building as a church. We're undergoing a construction project. And I had an interesting conversation this past week. One of our church members who's been here, been a member here for a long time, Frank Casson. He, he had been in the hospital, um, had some kidney issues, and he's doing so much better now. But uh, we were just talking there in the hospital room about stuff. And, of course, our construction project came up. And uh, we talked about this building. You may not have seen it unless you've been around this part of the campus, but we have a little white block building that actually attaches to our current nursery wing. You can, you can actually get to it from the nursery wing. Y'all know the white block building? Who knows about that white block building? Yeah, that's a little, about half and half maybe. Uh, well, anyway, I was talking to him about that building. And he was asking, uh, you know, what, what's the plans for the future for that? I said, well, we, we are, this construction project we're doing is phase one. In phase two, we're going to raise that building. We're, it's going to be demolished. That's the plan as of right now. And it would make room for some more parking. That building is really only being used for storage at this time. Uh, and uh, anyway, he began to tell me, and he was totally cool with that, but he ended up saying, I actually mixed the concrete for that building. I actually carried the cinder block for that building. I'm like, oh, I did not know that, Frank. That's pretty cool. And it just made me have this thought for a moment that if I was transported in time and I was there, maybe, maybe I was Frank's friend, and he said, you need to come help me. I could have been there mixing concrete and helping him carry block too. And I guarantee that at that time they were like, yes, this is exciting, we're building this block building. Now, I know that most people I know that have been in that block building aren't that excited about it. It's, it's an old, musty building. Uh, but at that time, it was an exciting thing. And it reminds me that right now, I'm excited about what we're about to do as we undergo some construction and some remodeling, and it's going to be nicer, newer spaces. But the truth is, hopefully many decades from now, not just a decade or something like that, but there's going to be a time if the Lord tarries his coming many decades from now, someone might look at that and say, that's got to go. <laughs> that's, that's dilapidated or that's musty or that's whatever, or it's got to be changed or whatever. That, that's what happens. It's just part of this world in which we live. It is temporary, and yet we still rise up and build. We began this journey together right on January 1st of this year. That very first Sunday of this new year, we began a sermon series called Under Construction, and we talked about rising up and building, and that's based on Nehemiah 2.18, which says, And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me, and they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. They were doing it to build the wall, rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. We're doing it to rebuild for ministry here on the campus of Hickory Grove. That very first Sunday of this year, we asked these two questions. What could be and what should be? 
And the, the, the hypothesis I presented was these are two of the most important questions you can ever ask because if you never ask these questions, you will stay stuck in what is and accept only that. It's when we begin to ask what could be and what should be that God can give us a vision for doing something different so that a greater impact can happen. And we are right now sitting in seats in a county that is the most lost county in Kentucky where 85% of the people are unchurched. So yes, we ought to be asking what could be or what should be because I don't want to settle for what is. And for us here at Hickory Grove, we've learned that we needed to do some remodeling of our spaces. Uh, some of the entrances and spaces that our families uh, go into at that time uh, look like this. And you know, the top ones are probably kind of the, the, the lesser, the worst ones. These bottom ones aren't too bad. But when we began to ask many months ago what could be and should be, we were able to capture a vision of something better that can be used as a tool to reach more and more families for Christ here in Kenton County and in northern Kentucky. And so this is what could be and what should be. And I will say it's now what will be because we have chosen as a, as a church to rise up and build. We have, we've done all the work. Uh, the pledges have been made. The bank has given us a thumbs up, and here we go. We are doing this. But I want you to be reminded of something very important. We said this last week. I'll say it again today. We'll probably say it again next week. What you and I are rising up a building is way bigger than brick and mortar and drywall and tile. Begin, those will one day dilapidate. Those are temporary things. What is being built here at Hickory Grove is eternal. Now, I know that sounds crazy. But I'm going to prove it to you by telling you what we are actually doing Beyond this whole construction project, what we're actually being called to do is something we saw Jesus talk about in the Gospel of John, in the book of John in the New Testament. If you have your copy of the Bible, we're going to be looking at John 4, 5. And what we're going to be finding is the material that God wants to use to build his kingdom is saved and redeemed and rescued souls. That's the eternal kingdom that Jesus began building long ago, and that today we are still called to build. Now, in John 4, we're going to be begin reading in verse 5 in just a moment. What happens right before that is Jesus had this really good long conversation with a man named Nicodemus. You'll see all about it in John chapter 3. He was a religious leader. Of the, of the Jewish religion, a Pharisee, and he came at night so none of his friends would see him to have a conversation with Jesus. And it's, that's the conversation where we get this famous verse of the Bible that many of us know, John 3.16, which says that God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. He said that to Nicodemus, that big epic moment where he lowered down, lowered down the boom on Nicodemus and said, this is how you must have eternal life. This is how you're saved. It wasn't long after that that there was this movement that began people began to see that Jesus and his disciples were actually baptizing a lot of new believers who were Jewish. They were beginning to follow Jesus, even more so than they were following John the Baptist, and definitely more so than they were following Judaism. And so the religious leaders, the friends of Nicodemus, they were getting antsy about it. And so because of that, Jesus decided to leave Jerusalem where he was, where he had met with Nicodemus, and go back towards his home region of Galilee. 
as he goes to his home region of Galilee, he's got to get through or around a place called Samaria. If you look at this map here, you will see in green arrows the path that Jesus took to go to Galilee. However, in the gray dotted line, you see this is how every other Jew went to Galilee. They dodged Samaria. They would cross over the Jordan River twice just to not go through Samaria. The reason being is those who lived in the region of Samaria, they were Samaritans. They were Jews who had intermarried with Gentiles, non-Jewish people, people that were seen as unclean pagans that God despised. The only thing probably worse in the eyes of a religious Jewish person than a Gentile was a Jew who had intermarried with a Gentile. So these people were despised. They weren't allowed to come to Jerusalem. They weren't allowed in the synagogues. They weren't allowed in the temple. So they had gathered themselves in the region of Samaria, had their own place of worship and everything. Well, most good religious Jews would go around Samaria. Jesus went right on through it because that's how he rolls. He walks into the mess. He walks into whatever it is that most people wouldn't walk into. Jesus walks into that. In fact, you're probably here today because Jesus walked into that. Because we've all had that. We're all not any different than someone that was looked upon like the Samaritans where we all have sin, we all have darkness, we all have skeletons in our closet, we all have a rap sheet. Jesus don't walk around that. He walks into it, to it, through it. And it's up to us to say, okay, no, no, we don't want that. We can reject that if we want, but Jesus, he's going to lean into it. So let's look at this story of Jesus' encounter with the woman that we affectionately know as simply the woman at the well. Starting in verse 5, it says, So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For the disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink of water, drink from me, a woman of Samaria? You can already see she's very well aware that this man should not be talking to her. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, You have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? As happens so many times, Jesus speaks in spiritual terms, and yet people only understood what he was saying in physical terms. She goes on to say, are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Whatever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. (laughs) She still may be thinking a little bit more physically than spiritually here. Jesus, and so we're going to jump on down to verse 25 actually. The woman said to him, the woman said to Jesus, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled 
that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? I mean, it was kind of unusual for a Jewish man to just be speaking to a, a woman, but especially a Jewish man speaking to a Samaritan woman. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And we're not talking about literal water anymore. We're now talking about spiritual things. Verse 30, they went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have no food to eat that you, excuse me, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Thinking maybe, oh, they brought him, someone snuck him some food while we weren't looking. He, he said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. May people be able to say, We know that this Jesus is indeed the Savior of the world because of an encounter with us. This is a very powerful encounter that we see. And, and like I said last week, we are rising up and building something that is indestructible. It's called the church. Jesus said to his disciple Peter that on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. So this thing called the church, this thing you're a part of even now by attending here today is indestructible. It will last until Jesus comes back. And it's why we must advance forward because we are indestructible. And it's why Jesus advanced forward into Samaria because that's an indestructible force and that's why we must push forward as well here in northern Kentucky here's what we are doing we're not merely building a facility here at Hickory Grove we are annexing northern Kentucky into the eternal kingdom of God we're taking it on we said over and over in here that just in Kenton County alone 85 percent are unchurched we can look at that as, oh, man, that's a bummer of a statistic. Man, there's a lot of lostness in northern Kentucky. You know what I see? I see that 85% of Kenton County is up for grabs for the kingdom of God. Let's go get it. Let's do what Jesus did and walk into that Samaria and lean into it. We're not going to do the dodging thing that they would do to Samaria. We're not going to do the dodging thing. We're not going to dodge anything in here. This 85% unchurch, we're going to walk into it. I want, to, I want us to all be challenged that we're no longer going to dodge that one cubicle at the office. We're not going to dodge that one neighbor down the street. We're not going to dodge that locker in our school anymore. We're not going to dodge anybody anymore. We're going to walk into wherever God leads us. We're done dodging. 
We're now going into it just as Jesus did into Samaria. And when he did that, one woman who met Jesus very briefly, I might add, was able to cause a spiritual awakening to happen just in her town of Sakar. That's it. It wasn't that difficult. It wasn't that crazy. All she did is experience Jesus for herself and take that experience and tell it to others. That's it. She says, you got to come meet this guy. It's the Messiah, the Christ. And friends, I'm telling you right now, just as Jesus said that the fields are white unto harvest, they are true right around us right now. Right now, where you live, where you work, where you drive, all around those places, the fields are white unto harvest. They are. Independence, Taylor Mill, Covington, Walton, Verona, Union, Burlington, Florence, Dry Ridge, Crittenden, wherever it is you may live, wherever it is you may drive, wherever it is you may work, the fields are white unto harvest. And God wants you and me to rise up and build, not, not something temporary, but something that will last forever. The construction material is made up of souls redeemed by Jesus, people being rescued by Christ himself. And we are on the front lines. You can be a first responder to those needing rescuing. And you know what? When, even when I hear myself saying stuff like this, it gets me charged up. It gets me excited. And maybe it gets you charged up and excited to some extent as well. I hope it does. But if we just stop there, we'll leave this building today saying, that, that was a pretty cool reminder. Like, wow, let's go do this. Let's reach Northern Kentucky for Christ. That sounds great. But I don't want you leaving here simply inspired. I want you leaving here with something to do about it. So I want to give you one big thing to do about it. And it's powerful in its simplicity. And yet, it's something that Jesus literally told his followers to do 2,000 years ago. And I think it's something he needs to tell you and me to do right now. And it's just to see. See. Specifically, see every person you encounter as someone who deserves a chance to live forever with Jesus. It almost sounds weird to say it like that, doesn't it? Like as if we have to be reminded of that. As if it's like almost too obvious. And yet, is it? Is it obvious? Look at verse 35 again. In John 4, 35, just the last part of that verse, Jesus said this, Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. This is the problem. The problem is our vision needs corrected. And it's not that we look and see someone and say, nah, they don't deserve Jesus. They don't deserve heaven. Most of the time, most of the time, that's not the problem. That can be a problem. I've heard of people talking something like that, and it makes my heart and soul cringe when I hear that because I'm like, none of us are worthy to be rescued by Jesus. We're all in the same boat. When I look at the images of the people that were in Houston, standing on the rooftops as the water is rising. I did not see anybody on that. I didn't look at that and say, should they really be rescued? I mean, really, should they? Are they deserving of it? Are they worthy of it? What's their story? What's their background? What's their... No, none of us thought that. As we watch those images, seeing someone on a roof, that if someone wouldn't come along, they would perish and drown. 
If you're like me, and I believe all of us were like, someone go get them. Someone go get them now. Like now, go get them. Go get them now. And friends, that's what we need to start seeing around us. It's hard to see it. It's hard to see it because someone standing on their spiritual roof about to drown can look like someone is pretty content, can look like someone is pretty prosperous, can look like someone's not in any danger whatsoever, can look like someone's got it all together. It can look like someone's doing maybe okay. And the truth is, without Christ, we're not okay. And sometimes we do catch a glimpse. Someone that is hit rock bottom in their life for whatever reasons that might be, then we can finally see. But Jesus is saying, we got a vision problem. He said it three times. He said, look, lift up your eyes, see. Look, lift up your eyes and see. And I'm asking you starting today, will you start looking, lifting up your eyes and seeing? The problem is we're so focused on us, we're so focused on our busyness, we're so focused on our stuff that we've yet to see the most important thing around us. People on their spiritual rooftops that need rescuing. We need to see it. And I want to simplify my life and your life real quickly right here. The only reason we're still here is because we are called to be sowers and reapers. Sowing seeds of the love and the good news of Jesus while we're still here. And don't let that get too complicated. What does that look like? Do I need to take a training course on that? No, talk to the woman at the well. She did it and was not trained at all. It was very organic. She met Jesus and saw how amazing he was. And people learned of it from her because she couldn't hold it in. That's what it looked like for her. We're called to be sowers and reapers. We'll make it very, very simple for you today. This is it. Sowing seeds of the gospel and reaping eternally saved souls is literally the only reason the world hasn't ended yet. That's the only reason. And that's good for us to hear because our lives are so caught up in stuff, our jobs, our relationships, our, all the stuff of life that occupies our time and our energy when it all boils down to it, all that matters is the eternal kingdom that is being built. And are you rising up and building it? Are you? Are you rising up and building the eternal kingdom? If you aren't, or if you're not sure how to answer that question, let me give you a couple things to consider as we close. Your very first thing you got to do is make sure you are in that kingdom that you want to build if you may be on your own spiritual rooftop right now saying, I know that I need Jesus. I know that I need him. Friends, he's right there. All you have to do is accept him. All you have to do is believe. All you have to do is say, Jesus, forgive me of all my sins and make me your child. The Bible says in Romans 10, 10 13, that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's all of us in this room. All you gotta do is ask. And maybe in your mind, I don't feel like I'm drowning, so I think I'm cool. Are you, make sure, are you in Christ? Is he your savior? Is he your Messiah? Is he your God? Are you his? And if not, settle that today, first and foremost. And if that is you, then guess why you're here? Guess why you are at the job that you're working right now? Guess why you're at the school you're going to right now? Guess why you're on the team you're playing on right now? Guess why you're living on the street you're living on right now? Guess why? 
you are going to be like the woman at the well where you are. Wherever you work, wherever you play, wherever you eat, wherever you live, that's your territory that God wants to annex for his eternal kingdom. Will you be a sower and a reaper for him?